for me, when I look at manhood and I, look, I think about what a man is, it is someone who I think is, is, is able to be themselves. And that might mean different things to different people, of course. Yeah. But it's being able to be yourself outside of what you think you should be, outside of what your culture tells you to be, what politics, what your friends, what your parents tell you to be. It's being yourself. And that is the hardest thing to do sometimes. I don't know about you, but I have never had a conversation with a man about what it is to be a man. We've never sat down and discussed the definition of a man and how that impacts their lives. But I've had so many of these conversations with women, and this is very much just the binary, but for me as a woman and for someone who has a lot of women in my life, we have sat down and tried to craft definitions of being a woman that creates space for ourselves, for our full humanity, for the full range of whoever we want to be. And those definitions are not tied to our relationships with other people. They're not tied to our femininity. They're tied mostly to who we are as individuals, right? Our own personalities and creating space for that. But so much of the current discourse around manhood is tied to toxic masculinity. It's tied to definitions that the patriarchy has really entrenched of like what it is to be a man. And they're so narrow. They allow so little scope for humanity. They're affecting men's mental health in a very real way. They're affecting our relationships. They are a driver of violence in our world. And they're not really serving anyone when you think about it. But still, we're not having this conversation. And I really want to have this conversation because I think it's how we start moving forward in recognizing that none of this is working for any of us. It's actually just putting all of us, whatever our gender is, in a different box and relegating us to such a narrow scope of potential and the opposite of humanity. We don't get to be our full human selves because of these definitions. And as I started thinking about what conversations I wanted to have in this space, it made sense that we brought in someone who's actually having this conversation because I don't know how to have it and I really want to have it. And I want the tools to start having it with the men and the women in my life, with all the people in my life. But it feels really scary to, to go in that direction for me sometimes because, again, so much of the current discourse pits us in the binary against each other and creates for this defensiveness of like, if, if we're gonna talk about masculinity, men are bad, which is not the case. It's the definition that's bad. If we're gonna talk about what's broken with these definitions of toxic masculinity, women are angry and women are angry at men. And it's, in my opinion, that's also not the case. We're angry at a system that's created for the violence. We're angry at a system that doesn't allow us to see each other as fully human and to connect with each other as fully human which is why in today's episode, we brought on Elliot Ray, who is the founder of musicfootballfatherhood.com. Um, and he's someone who is going out there in the trenches really and facilitating these conversations with men and with people. He's really starting to dig into what it is to be a man, what it is to be a father, what masculinity looks like right now, and what we imagine a world where a new definition of masculinity can exist could look like. And Elliot and I really like get into all of this. And also we talk about like actual actionable tools because all of this is great intellectually. These are things we need to be thinking about. But then it's like, okay, what next? How do I actually take this and do something with it? And Elliot gives us some tools because he's doing it every day. And he shows us how we can have these conversations and how we can reimagine these definitions in our friendships, in our relationships, in our workplaces, in ourselves as well. And how we can create space for, for the full range of people to be themselves really. And that includes men, for men to be themselves and what masculinity could look like. This conversation was one of my favorites I have had on this podcast. It was full of laughter. It was full of joy. And even when we got into the heavy stuff, it felt like we were together trying to figure out a path through it. 
Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks. Um, so to get us started, we don't like to define people. We let people define themselves and introduce themselves. So how would you like to introduce yourself? So I would say, well, first of all, my name is Elliot and uh, I'm a original Londoner and I live in Watford. I'm a husband, a uh, dad of one, uh, a friend, a son, and just a human trying to figure out life and do purposeful work, be happy, you know, make other people happy if I can find my way really. That's the loveliest introduction we've ever had and you're <laughs> the first person who has not mentioned what you do for work in your introduction. Yeah, we'll get it. <laughs> I love. It also is like you're upending so many gendered stereotypes of generally it's women who are defined by their relationships and you're like, let me tell you about the people in my life to start with, which yeah. is lovely. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, I'm lucky enough where I kind of live my work. So in a way, I think me introducing myself is is very relevant to the work I do because it is my work, you know? I don't really have a differentiation, if you like. Um, I try to live my life in a way that reflects the professional work I do yeah. and vice versa. So what is the professional work you do? <laughs> I'm going to make you go there. <laughs> okay, yeah, so, um, so I run an organisation called Music Football Fatherhood, or MFF for short, um, which is all about open conversations about being a dad. So we do that through like content, um, community events, and also campaigning yeah. as well. Um, we do you know, really cool events with football clubs, partnerships with like Arsenal and QPR and Brentford, Watford, and bring dads into that space to have really, really vulnerable open conversations, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, we do a lot of campaigning for you know, equal parental leave, for flexible working for men and dads. And we do content through, through our book, um, podcast, online, that kind of stuff. So. I spend a lot of time alongside, you know, a team that, that helps yeah. as well with that. And the other side of my work, which is very much related, is taking her, those conversations into employers and organisations yeah. and helping them to have some potentially uncomfortable and awkward and difficult conversations around some quite nuanced and sensitive topics, but topics that I think are very important, you know, if we're going to create workplaces where we can all thrive yeah you know so having conversations around supporting working dads around masculinity and manhood in the workplace and allyship and also men's health mental health and physical health as well how did you end up doing this like what, what was the beginning of your journey did it start with fatherhood and saying i want a space was it were you already down that path and you were like okay I, yeah. it's like I'm doing this like what was the was there a turning point for you or was it was it just like I'm looking for something it doesn't exist I need to make it yeah a bit of both really like I feel like the the topic the theme very much came about when I became a dad I would say that was like the highlight of okay this is an area that I felt like I was immersed in and it was a natural progression like if you like for me yeah. to kind of do the work but in regards to you know what I do in regards to speaking and facilitation yeah. and, and creating safe spaces like that started years ago actually so after uni um, I went to uni because I didn't want to get didn't want to get a job so <laughs> I started business and marketing tried to get a, a job in marketing it just wasn't happening like I didn't know what I was up against at yeah. the time like young 20 year old applying for all these organizations with no experience and you know it just wasn't going to happen I didn't understand about the inequalities maybe at that right. time. So right. went to get a job in that West and worked with my mum on the mm. till, which is crazy. Literally right next to my mum. <laughs> wow. That must have been an experience. I was on my best behaviour. Like, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask, like, was she just telling you off at work? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was a memory. Um, and then after that, I was always making music and whatnot. I actually mm -hmm. started a social enterprise called uh, Make It Happen Music, which was teaching young people music production. Yeah. But the real aim of that was to engage them in the conversations yeah. around like gang violence, drugs, mm -hmm. sex, relationships, you know, all that sort of stuff. This was back in like 2006, 7. So 
when I think about it, like the work in regards to that started then. Mm. It was just in a different way, different point in my life and on a slightly different theme and topic, but the actual stuff, the professional stuff was from there. Right. And then I joined the civil service, started as a PA um, and ended in the civil service as the head of race equality at DEFRA and then the head of diversity delivery at the treasury. Um, and alongside obviously working in the civil service, that's when I became a dad and we had our experience and I kind of delved into this work. Yeah. And were you, were you already having these kinds of conversations with, with friends, with your family? Were you in spaces where you were having the conversations where you were like, okay, I want to expand it out? Or was it, was it like a hunger for something that you wanted and it wasn't happening? You were like, well, let me create the space because it's not, it's not there right now. Yeah, it's definitely creating that space. Mm. You know, I think for us in, in parenting, I think parenting in general changes your life anyway, because yeah. kids are a lot. <laughs> <laughs> they're a lot yeah. and they're all encompassing and all consuming and all that sort of stuff um, but for, for many parents and us included it's not always a, a smooth journey at some yeah. point and for us you know when our daughter was born she was quite ill she was quite sick when she was born so she was in hospital and intensive care and we didn't know you know whether yeah. she was going to be okay and so that experience was very, very, very difficult, obviously, for us, and very hard. And leaving the hospital after getting the good news that we could go home, mm. I literally had a weekend at home, a day, a couple of days at home, and like went back to work. Right. Because obviously in the UK, paternity leave, yeah. statutory paternity leave was two weeks, and yeah. that was finished. So I went back to work at my desk, smiling like I do, and masking yeah. the fact that I've kind of just been through like the most traumatic yeah. experience of my life where my daughter and my wife were, you know, their, their lives were seriously in danger and we've witnessed it all and whatnot. So going back to work and just kind of like, you know, pretending it's all okay. Yeah. And going through that, that period, coming out of that, that kind of really opened my eyes to so many things. I was already working in DNI mm -hmm. anyway, so I had a good understanding. I felt like right. from an organisational perspective and yeah. I was doing race work and whatnot, but going through that experience on a personal level, I was eventually diagnosed with PTSD. Mm. That opened my eyes to so many things. I mean, how good we are at masking, Yeah. number one. The fact that we can very easily fall into like expectations of how we're supposed to be. Yeah. And I was definitely in that box, you know, definitely playing up to who I felt like I should be based on you know, what I was before or what people thought of me and my gender and being a black man and, and whatnot. And who did you think people thought you should be? Like, what, what did that definition look like in your mind at that time? So I think it was, you know, happy-go-lucky, um, confident, funny, charismatic, um, the life of the party a yeah. little bit, you know? And those ideas I kind of played up to. Mm. But inside I was feeling a very, very different way. You you were probably all of those things and mm. more, right? And there wasn't the space for all the other parts of your humanity. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's one of the main things I realized is that you can be both like two yeah. things and be true at the same time, you know? Yeah. And my work now is so much informed by that experience and the more I've learned and the, the, the conversations that we facilitate and the more I read, the more I kind of come to that conclusion as what you said there, we can be many things. Yeah. And I felt like I had to be that one thing mm. and there wasn't space for anything else. And if I didn't display anything else, yeah. that was going to come with me judging myself, other people judging me, yeah. me having to explain myself, um, and just uncomfortable conversations and a shift in identity that I, just, I didn't, or wasn't ready yeah. to, to take on, essentially. Um, so yeah, that, that process taught me a lot about that. It taught me a lot about how me and my wife could have kind of sleepwalked into our roles, mm. um, which in a way, because of our experience, we didn't. Yeah. And what I'm really happy for is that because my daughter was so sick, 
it kind of it could have split us apart yeah. but actually it brought us together mm. and it made me want to be there even more and I don't know if if, if that would have been the case if if she wasn't ill when she was born so you know I think everything happens for a reason and as, yeah. as my wife says your message your message yeah and I look back with weirdly but I look back with gratitude mm. that that happened because it has changed my life in so many ways like yeah. I definitely wouldn't be sitting here <laughs> talking to yeah. you if that didn't happen and you know be lucky enough to do to have the life I have now where I get to do very purposeful work meet amazing people do some really cool stuff so so yeah the intentionality is something that's so interesting there because I have a lot of friends who are becoming parents for the first time right now. And in mixed gender couples, I see this a lot where unless you are very intentional about how, however progressive you think you are going into it, unless you're very intentional, mm-hmm. it's so easy to slip into the prescribed gender gendered roles, right? And it, it ties to everything. It ties to how much time off work do you have? Well, you got your two weeks and then you're back. and oh, the other person is now doing the bulk of childcare and domestic labor and has very little of a support system. And also, how is that going to impact their career? And it, like everything just cascades from there. Mm, 100%. I was at a, an event in November. It was a, um, a network of gender network leads in mm. organizations. And there were about five of us who were invited to share a little bit about our works, you know, yeah. talk for five minutes or whatever. And, Actually, my daughter was with me that day because I couldn't get childcare. So she came and yeah. she, she kind of came on stage with me. I just shared a little bit about my work. And then afterwards, we were having drinks and having some wine. And then this, this lady came up to me and she was seven months pregnant. She wasn't drinking wine, by the way. <laughs> but she was seven months yeah. pregnant. And she came up to me and she was in tears. And she was in tears because she was saying that she works in uh, accountancy. Her husband works in wealth management somewhere. His organisation offers two weeks paid paternity yeah. leave, which is you know, better than this statutory pay. Yeah. Two weeks paid, okay. But he was only planning to take one week. And what she was saying was that it's, it's not the the one week or two weeks that is that makes the difference in the bigger picture. It's the fact that what that decision is doing is setting a precedent and the expectations and the norms for what's going to happen going forward. Yeah. And she was fully, she's fully aware about you know, yeah. gender inequalities and what that means for yeah. her career and all that yeah. sort of stuff. And I really felt that. It was a really difficult conversation yeah. because, you know, what we see is that the, the guy and what she was saying, she felt the pressure, the guy felt the pressure to only take the one week because that's what happens in his workplace. Right. That is what the senior people do. That's yeah. what the senior men who are in senior positions have done in their career. Yeah. That's the expectations on him. That's going to be detrimental for her life, yeah. her health, her career, everything. And I felt so sad because it's also going to be detrimental to his right. life as well. Yeah. And talking to her and asking her questions, it was clear that he didn't understand the implications of that decision. He's really right. thinking, this is good for my career now and everyone's going to be proud of me at work. Yeah. Cool, I get that. But in the long-term impact of your relationship, Yeah of your child's development, of your own happiness yeah. and your own presence in your family and you seeing your child growing up, having yeah. a bond with your baby, that's massive, yeah. you know? But we don't talk enough about that. So I don't want to, I don't come from the position of blame. It's more like, I don't think he understands yeah. the impact of that decision, what that can mean for the future of his family. And it's also, it is his decision and what you're describing is also it's much bigger than him right like he exists within a world mm. and all around him there is the pressure the pressure to to make that decision and to be a certain way mm. and that is like what his role is within his family according mm. to the world so if he's stepping out of it it's actually like a really radical thing he's doing exactly it's not i mean it is about him of course he's an adult and yeah, he has yeah, a yeah. of course we can't take away people's personal responsibility <clears throat> but the bigger picture is what is the system he's operating yep. in yeah. What is the cultural norms yeah. that comes from government legislation, from his workplace culture, from years of yeah. generations of men, you know, playing yeah. this role. He's existing like we all are within that. And what you said there is really interesting, you know, to step outside of that, you kind of have to be groundbreaking. Yeah. And 
we shouldn't have to be groundbreaking to the college of our children. Which is the <laughs> most ridiculous thing when you think about it. Exactly. Yeah. It shouldn't be groundbreaking yeah. to take time off when you have a new baby. Like, and I think that is the thing we need to move away from is that a lot of the dads that we speak to, they have that sense of bravery when asking for flexible working loudly because of parenting reasons. Yeah. Or bravery when you put in your diary that you're leaving early to do childcare, to do the pickup. Or bravery when you decide to take three months off paternity leave, even if that's what your organization offers. Yeah. And I think where we have progress is where those men, those dads don't feel like it's a brave decision. They just feel like this is what- This is life. Is expected of me. Yeah. It's also, it what you said there earlier, if it's generations, it's also the next generation, right? Like if this is what today's children grow up seeing around them, we're mm-hmm. just like re-entrenching the entrenched system. So. How the hell are we going to change anything then? Yeah. Just, it's so hard to, but then every, every dad who steps out of the norm right now is the, is the brave, loud one who's mm. changing the norm, whether it's within his company, whether it's somewhere bigger, right? Like whether it's within his family, his community, his friends, where his best friend has a child the next year is like, oh, I remember so-and-so did that. Maybe I could ask for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we did an event called Dad's Do Hair really cool we teach dads how to do like I love that this is so funny (laughs) there's three levels there's the first level which is a bun which everyone Mm -hmm. can like try and do and then second level is a plat we have about 20% dropout rate (laughs) 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 then the third level is like a braid which I you know I can't do a braid it's actually really difficult to do but it's funny like getting everyone to try Um, so it started off as dad sessions but you know we do them for MFF but we also do them in organisations as well and a lot of mums join as well because they're like I need help too um, but I remember doing one and we did the session and afterwards we do like a book reading and we, mm. we spoke about like, gender roles and whatnot. And there was one dad who who was the uh, main carer for his daughter. Mm. His wife worked full time. And he, I remember him saying to the group that it was like a big deal for him to, to kind of announce that to his friends mm. because he was the first one in his friendship group yeah. that wasn't like the main earner working right. didn't have a you know a wife that worked part time or whatever yeah. so it was a big deal for him to yeah. be like yeah I've got something to tell you yeah <laughs> yeah, I'm doing the school big ups like and it, it, mm. it genuinely was a big deal for him and his friends supported him but there are other instances where the friends won't support and the friends will yeah. kind of take the mick and whatnot. and I think it's it's really interesting what we're seeing is I think like a polarization where like we have in the political world where we have loads of people and like progressive guys if you like thinking in one way that are really embracing equal yeah. parenting the research is showing us that younger people especially in like professional jobs are valuing family-friendly policies yeah. and flexible working just as much as you know, monetary remuneration yeah. so we're getting that side that while we're pushing against yeah. the norm but then we're getting the other side i think championed by like the Andrew Tates and whatnot who are actually pushing against the against that and want, yeah. want us to kind of stick to or go back to those traditional yeah. roles and the more I'm talking to people the more you realize most people are kind of on one side or the other now you mm-hmm. know we're, we're kind of on one side or the other there are a few people in the middle or whatnot but mm-hmm. I think most people you speak to are very much like yeah this is what I believe or this is what I believe yeah. probably more from our political world and Brexit and etc yeah, yeah, yeah. where it's so polarized but I do feel like there is optimism mm. and there are people who engage with organizations like us and who are pushing for like equal parenting and the evolution of masculinity and whatnot. Um, but just as loudly, maybe even more loudly, our voices on the other side as well, which is a problem. And how do you, how are you like thinking about not even how to deal with it, but how to exist in a world where your your understanding your lived experience of fatherhood and masculinity is in direct opposition mm-hmm. to the Andrew Tates of the world right like you don't have to obviously respond to them but you run an organization mm-hmm. where you're advocating for another way of mm-hmm. being and they're like the, the boys who are growing up now are hearing something so different every time they open YouTube a lot of them not all of them but a lot of them yeah yeah I think so personally it's not a problem in my personal life yeah. you know um, just the way my, my dad was a very progressive man <laughs> i didn't realize this guy was a baby but he told yeah. me a couple of years ago he was like yeah i, I looked after you your mum went to work i was mm-hmm. you were a baby and i i didn't know i was a baby yeah, you didn't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then i think as soon as i went to school 
and then um, my mum worked part time from then and my memory is really bad so I only remember like <laughs> up to a certain <laughs> yeah. age but I'll take my dad's word for it so for me that's never been a thing in my personal yeah. life and me and my wife have always shared the care equally cool yeah. that's not a problem <laughs> I think in terms of professionally though it has been uh, it has been times where I've had to really think about how far I want to go if you know what I mean yeah. like I'm sure from what you do you might get some backlash and abuse yeah. and whatnot this year I've started to get quite a few mm. emails um, calling me all sorts of words <laughs> whatever never face to face but it's always online right. even sometimes on Twitter and whatnot and some of that kind of that, that backlash and I had a moment earlier this year so I'm a I go to church yeah. my Christians I have an interesting conversation interesting relationship with religion where I feel like I don't have a denomination but I believe in God and mm. I believe in a higher purpose and, and whatnot. even though we go to a Christian church but it's more about the environment where we can relax yeah. and be around like-minded people and praise and, and yeah. anyway so I was sitting down in my living room early this year and I had this like overwhelming feeling where I felt like God was saying to me you know you need to lean into your work a little bit more there's stuff that that's on your mind that you talk about with your with my wife and some yeah. of my friends but I don't talk about it in public mm. and I think I wasn't talking about it in public because I knew how polarizing some of those views were yeah and the fact that if you're going to step out in public and really own this stuff and say it with your chest yeah you need to be prepared for what's going to come and even for me I would say up until recently there's some things that I may hold back held back on yeah but that feeling earlier this year was like no like if you're supposed to, to do that it was a real thing of like yeah. you you're supposed to do this with your life yeah. do you know what I mean like and since then I've kind of lent into it essentially and feel like there's some things I have a voice I have a platform yeah don't know why been given a platform and people listen to, to what I say yeah. I'm able to organize things so so use it you know and it'll be okay so but since then I have noticed <laughs> some of the <laughs> some of the bad emails have increased oh yeah but also the reach has got bigger as well yeah. so. what are the things that you feel like you're pushing yourself to speak out about more right now like what feels like yeah. the, the thing in you that you just need to get out right now so I think ultimately it's about it's an extension of what I've always talked about but maybe speaking more from the heart and being more raw within that and more mm. opposing and I think it's the opposing side of things that, right. that for me is that I could be more I have been more loud about in mm. recent months so I didn't talk the other day basically to um, the automotive club so it's a, a group of CEOs and DI leads and HR directors that work in yeah. the automotive industry yeah. so all of the big brands are there, yeah. hundreds of people, whatever. And they asked me to talk about the rise of online misogyny and what mm. it means for you know, young people in their workplace. Yep. So obviously in the car industry, there's a lot of yeah. masculinity and like traditional yep. ways of doing things and whatever. And I thought about, okay, how, you know, what, what do I want to say at this conference? How do I want to talk? Yeah. And I thought, you know, let's just let's, let's be honest, yeah. right? Like talk as you would if you're in your living room with my wife's name yeah. and just say that. So I did. And I spoke about my own dad and the relationship that I've had with him, positive one. I spoke about Andrew Tate and his reach. I quoted some of the things that he'd said, mm. which were quite confronting yeah. and alarming. Said it. Talked about how the influence of those messages are kind of coming out to real world behaviours. Yeah. Used some research from the Global Institute of Women's Leadership around... Uh, you know, around 51% of all people feel like men are doing too much to work towards gender equality. Um, spoke about what that means for their organisation. Spoke about the fact that gender equality is good for men and spelled out some of the reasons why. And then spoke about how they as leaders can engage men in gender equity work. Mm. And it was like doing, sat out there and reading those quotes, talking passionately how I how I want to do 
really leaning into the fact that they have responsibility to do the right thing here and why yeah. is something that has taken me a while to get to, to stand up on stage in front of hundreds of people and just be that honest and open and raw. Um, and you know, coming off stage, there was one guy that was like, that was really confronting. Yeah. And I thought about oh, confronting, that's an interesting word. And I looked up in the dictionary, it's <laughs> like, what does actually confronting mean? And I thought, you know what, I guess it is confronting because these are things that we don't hear people talking about live and direct. Yeah. On, on the stage and saying and standing by it and saying with your chest and believing it and standing firm. We're in a society now where if you do that, you're kind of open for for yeah. criticism either way, yeah. you know, praise and criticism. And it's taken me a long while to get to that point where personally I feel like this is what I stand on and actually yeah. if my friends and family watch it, it's fine. They know who I am, yeah. they know what I'm about. But also professionally, I know enough to be able to stand by what I'm saying. Yeah. And I think sometimes that is the barrier for people. Maybe personally, it's yeah. like, does this match with my true identity? Am I willing Am to I like, living it? Yeah, yeah. Can I walk out on the street and someone stop me and be like, I saw you like yeah. have a conversation, yeah. you know? But also like, do you feel like you know enough to be able to actually intellectually have a conversation about it as well? And so those are the things that I think has taken me a while to get to. It also sounds like you are I don't want to say questioning, but yeah, you are questioning like the the norms of like traditional air quoting traditional masculinity by going up on stage and being as raw and as real about want, wanting equity and and sharing how you feel as well, right? Like all of that is your you're being confronting. Yeah, it's the act. Yeah, you know, it's not just what we're saying. It's like the act of how you say it. You know that that is the very act. So we put our book together. Um, so it's like our book dad is a collection of stories from 20 different men who are sharing so openly about their fatherhood experiences you know <sighs> raw stories about like widowhood stillbirth yeah. like stories that like if I was to read it it would make me cry now you know like yeah. raw honest stories and the act of what what they're writing about their vulnerability is one thing but the fact that they wrote it and they stand mm. by it and they're willing for it to go out into the world that in itself the act of it is the change as well yeah you know so it's on different layers and for me it was like i can say these things but am i living it to the point where the act of me saying it is the change not just what i am saying yeah was it this might be a stupid question but was it has it been difficult to get other men to open up about fatherhood and like Mm -hmm. all the all the way all the shades of fatherhood whether it's like widowhood or stillbirths or Mm -hmm. or dealing with figuring out how to braid your child's hair right like the the everything of it has it been where once you opened up the space and facilitated the space it was like oh thank you it's finally here or was it like pulling teeth for a while of like you all need to say things not hard not hard like this is idea that men don't talk Mm. but they do (laughs) like they really do like if the environment is right you know so like if and from a psychological perspective there's like tools I feel like you're manipulating people right? but <laughs> there are ways that you can get people to open up right um, things around sharing first right around having a conversation about a resource or a chapter or discussing mm. a documentary yeah and talking about that is you're talking about something else it's not know? about yeah inevitably it comes back to yourself of course um, you know physical things in the room that you might do providing food making sure there's sunlight all, all those yeah. little things help but I think ultimately People know that we've got an event at Watford. I don't know when it's will come out, but it's on the day before Father's Day. Mm. And so in the communications, it says we're going to have open conversations about like expectations, mm. modern fatherhood, loss, all that sort of stuff. So people know why they're coming. They right. won't be surprised. Right. And we've built up a reputation now where you know, people know yeah. what, what they're coming and people won't come if they don't want to get involved in those conversations. So I can't say it's been hard. And I think that stereotype, which is obviously is true to, to, to a large extent of men not talking, like that's also lazy as well, you know, because if we get it right, if we talk to men in, in, in a way where it's not necessarily confronting, but they know they're supported, we're not judged, where everyone else is doing the same yeah. thing, where there are facilitators that they respect for whatever reason, yeah. Men talk a lot, loads, 
literally. <laughs> like they talk. And if someone's listening to this or watching this and they're like, I, you know, I'm not a prof- professional facilitator. I don't. Mm-hmm. But I want to start this conversation with my mates. I like, I feel like we're, we're getting to that or I'm at that point where I want to talk and I hope they'll talk back. Yeah. What's, this, this sounds so basic. Like, what are one some thing. tools? Like what's one thing someone can do other than sharing their own story, right? Like how do you, how do you get that started? Like I, I'm thinking about friends of mine where it's been like a, oh, we, we're fine. I'm like, you're clearly not fine. Like mm. I can see you're not fine. Mm. I, I don't want to push you to, to say things you're not comfortable sharing, but like also you gotta you gotta say something. Yeah. And it's it's how do you get past that barrier sometimes of like creating that space or creating that expectation within mm-hmm. a relationship or within a friend group where it's like it's okay we can talk about our feelings. Yeah, yeah. So there's a couple of things I would say. The first is to to just talk about a thing, like you know an article. Find an article. Mm. Find like a short YouTube video or something on Instagram, send it to them and discuss the thing. Yeah. Like that's the number one easiest thing I would say, because, you know, as we said before, it's not about them, it's about the thing. Right. And everyone can talk about someone else's life. Oh yeah, of course, of course, yeah. <laughs> that's easy to do. Yeah. So we can talk about other people and, and then inevitably that comes back around. Yeah. Like it will come back around eventually. And the second thing I think is like find things that are of interest to people like I got asked this question about asked this question the other day around organizations they were struggling this company was struggling to engage older men in yeah. their diversity work gender equity work etc and they're like what, what can we do to engage the older men and like the younger men I can you know they, we're getting them involved with the older men they're not really coming to the sessions blah blah and I was saying like think about what those people are experiencing at the time the what are their challenges maybe right their partner's going through the menopause. Yeah. Maybe they're getting ready for retirement. Maybe their children have left home and now mm. they've got an empty nest. You know, like find things that are important to them. Yeah. And then once you've got them, then you can open up the conversation yeah. about the other stuff. Yeah. But it's about finding things that are important to people right. and like meeting them where they are at. Like sometimes we want to have conversation about what's important to us. And we assume it should be important to them. And it should be, of course, like yeah. when we think about these big topics. Yeah. But sometimes the way in is like, what's the unique perspective you have? What's your challenge? Right. And then it inevitably comes back to the bigger picture here, which is around roles of men and women and yeah. you know, people in society and, and expectations. And it yeah. comes back to that eventually. But maybe the way in is, is from their unique experience it's also i guess scary to start with like if someone came to me and i do this for a living and said i want to have a conversation about gender roles i'd be like are you sure like what did i do wrong why am i in trouble it's a big it's a big topic yeah it's 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 a lot um has have the conversations changed as you've been doing this for a while now Mm -hmm. and do you feel like the conversations around you are evolving around how so covid that was a massive one covid changed a lot i think um well i don't think it all changed a lot for the positive but it did change a lot i think i think when it comes to parenting at least you know i've been doing like workshops of organizations at mff before the pandemic i'm so much busier now than before and a lot of that is because before the pandemic there was no reason for us to explore doing things differently. Like we were just, you know, following along. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. COVID happened, you know, everything changed, all yeah. at home. And all of a sudden, especially for parents, they were confronted with the gender roles in their house. There was no escape in it. Mm-hmm. And so many people, so many couples have broken up, you know, so yeah. many parents have broken up since COVID because it was the real point of like, what are we doing here? What does our setup look like? How are we sharing the care? Yeah. Who, how are we supporting each other? And if people weren't stepping up, you couldn't hide anywhere. There was nowhere to go. Yeah. And so we were confronted with the realities of our lives. Yeah. And that brought out a lot, positive and negative. In the negative where, you know, relationships didn't work and, and whatnot, but the positive in regards to, you know, men spend more time with their children during COVID for obvious reasons than ever before, you know, in yeah. the last hundred years or so. And even though since COVID we have kind of gone back a little bit, 
we're still better in regards to men spending with the child children than we were mm-hmm. post pandemic pre pandemic. So I think from a parenting perspective, COVID had a massive part to play. I think in terms of what it means to be a man and masculinity, that conversation has evolved too. Yeah. I have to say Andrew Tate, you know, he's been a massive driver for the conversation. Yeah. And when you have such a strong view over here, it is a natural thing to have an opposing view. Yeah. Whereas before we didn't have that opposing view, so everyone was kind of just going along. Yeah. Whereas now it's more like, as I was saying before, people are picking where they stand. Yeah, yeah they need a little bit of help with maybe articulating yeah. all the things they're thinking, but then it comes out to a conclusion, like, do I believe this or do I yeah. believe that? So that conversation has evolved massively. Can people bring you in to, to tell them how to think? Okay. This is a question that you might not be able to answer because I'm conscious of the fact that I wouldn't necessarily be able to answer it. But as you like start to, I mean, you spend your days like having these conversations, mm. what does like a definition of masculinity look like for you? Like, mm. how would you define it? Yeah, so I was thinking about this on the way here, actually, because I saw mm. the notes. And it's a hard one. I don't think, unfortunately, there is like a, I'd love to have a snappy title and a snappy like, whoa, masculinity is. (laughs) I think um, ultimately, like, for me, when I look at manhood and I I think about what a man is, it is someone who I think is is able to be themselves. Um, And that might mean different things to different people, of course. Yeah. But it's being able to be yourself outside of what you think you should be outside of what your culture tells you to be, what politics, what your friends, what your parents tell you to be. Yeah. It's being yourself. And that is the hardest thing to do sometimes. It's the easiest thing, but the hardest thing. Yeah. Because being yourself is, is very much, first of all, admitting to yourself who you are, you know? And yeah. a lot of us don't get time to do that in our busy lives. It's a lot, yeah. It's a lot. So exploring who we are and finding out what do I like? Mm. What kind of contribution do I want to make to society? What kind of relationship do I want to have with, you know, my partner? If you have the children, your kids, your friends, what kind of friend do you want to be? What kind of son, dad, husband, whatever do you want to be? Yeah. Um, what do you want your relationships to look like? Yeah. You know, that and figuring it out for yourself. That's really hard to do. It's really hard. You know, when I was going through my PTSD, I didn't tell my mom and dad. Like they yeah. found out pretty much from everyone else found out on you know. Yeah. And it was because in my life at that moment, I wasn't secure 100% in who I was to the point where, okay, this is who I am now. I can be honest about it. It's hard to be yourself. Really, really hard. So I don't don't say that lightly in terms Mm. of just being yourself. Like it's it's hard. So when you figure that out, like then you're still battling with with, um, kind of like expectations and and pressures and whatnot. And I think for all of us, we have very high expectations and pressures. For men, they are very prevalent in regards to your career, you know? Um, I feel like a lot of men are are judged and categorised based on what they do for a living and how mm. successful they are with that. That comes down to you know, relationships, the friendships, status and, and, and power, you know, that system that we're all in for men the pressure to to be successful and senior in whatever you do yeah. is there, you know? And again, being senior in your work is not a bad thing. No, like, but the, the pressure is the bad thing. The pressure is the bad thing. And if that's not what you strive for, yeah. it's a bad thing. And that's, that's the difficult conversation and nuance in this as well, because, you know, I'm not here saying men shouldn't be strong, like, or shouldn't be providing our breadwinning at all. Like, there are times in our life and that might be required of us. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. Yeah. The problem is that if that is what is required from you all the time by every man, every day of the week, which is unrealistic, first of all, and quite harmful, because it's not going to happen for all of us all the time. And it shouldn't have to happen for all of us all the time. It can't happen for anyone all the time. Exactly. So it's allowing yourself to sometimes, yeah, sometimes you will be with privilege and and a brilliant, but other times you won't be. So for me, manhood is being being yourself. It is being strong, but it's also allowing other people to be strong for you. It's also being a protector, but being protected. Uh, I think it's being 
a provider, but at the same time being provided for as well and knowing where we need to be those things. What I what I am so lucky for is my dad. Uh, my dad is a very you know, he's a he's a great communicator, he's a great yeah. listener, he's very calm. And seeing him and my mum when I was younger, their relationship, just the way sometimes my dad would take the lead, sometimes mm. he would be led. Yeah. You know? Um I didn't realise that when I was like eight. <laughs> but it was it was showing you something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I look back and I think, oh yeah, there were certain times where like my dad would be like, no, no, no this is how we're doing it. The other time, they just take a back seat and just, you know, go yeah. and fly. Sometimes when he would compromise completely, mm. other times when he'd have to, you know, that's, that's just life. That's the relationship. Being human, yeah. Exactly. And, you know, I've got friends who are going through um, separations at the moment, and sometimes we look at some men in those relationships who I think didn't have that role model to them, and they don't know like how to maintain the relationship and be a man in that in that yeah. way they don't know how to compromise how to be led yeah and i think it's really important to learn how to be led and learn how to compromise and to communicate and to be cared for and protected like that is very important we shouldn't we shouldn't underestimate the importance of like men feeling like they can be protected and they can be provided mm. for you know um and again some people might say that like that sounds soft or whatever but I would challenge those people to say the reality is that men are most, more likely to take their own life than they are to ask for help and support. Yeah. The ONS found that one in five men have no close friends. Prostate cancer is now the most diagnosed cancer in the UK. A lot of the time it gets diagnosed quite late because we're not very good at going to the doctors. So the ideas of us being protected, being helped, are like fundamental for our well-being and our survival and our health, physical health and mental health. Men are much more likely to die prematurely under the age of 65. So all this stuff is like not for the benefit just of everyone else. It's actually for the benefit of ourselves as well. It's survival. Exactly. And I think for us to survive now in this modern world, as men, it's changing how we think about manhood. Yeah. It also... You, you said it and used an interesting word there where you were like, it's it's not soft. And I would challenge that. I was going to say, it's okay to be soft. Exactly. Yeah. Why not? Why I not? I want a soft life. I want to be soft. Sounds great. Who doesn't want that, right? <laughs> like, that whole providing breadwings thing, it's like, it's tiring, man. Like, to have to do that all the time. I'm so glad. I posted on LinkedIn the other day. When I left my job a couple of years ago, I had no money like i had no mm. forecasted income for the next yeah. month <laughs> i'm lucky my wife has a good job like it's she cool could, yeah yeah like, if, if i earn money it's fine like we're not we're gonna be okay you're a team that's the, that's how in my mind it should be right like you are a team exactly you got each other exactly but there are a lot of men who have built a life where like their their career is all important yeah. their partner's part-time and or doesn't yeah. work they can't afford to yeah. leave a job that they that they, that they hate and they're stuck in that world, you know. So it's beneficial for us. And I think that's the core message of what I'm trying to always get across is that this change is good for men too. Yeah. Um, of course, it's good for women. We know that. We should know that. And we should yeah. know how that's yeah. good for women. I think my message is very much like that is true, but it's also good for us too. Yeah. And I think that's the way I'm able to engage men in this conversation of being like, like it's about you, it's not about, about someone you. else. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's. I mean, all of all of these systems are broken in that we're all like trapped and put in boxes, right? And it's like, oh, the boxes aren't serving anyone. Let's just break down the the boxes, walls, and yeah. be human again. Hundred percent. So this leads me to my very my last very cheesy question, where <laughs> this is called Little Revolutions, right? And it's about the idea that like bigger systems at play that need to be changed, that we're trying to change, but also we're all just tiny humans. Some of us have more power and agency than others, but we all have some power. And if there's someone who is listening to this or watching this and it's like, okay, I'm with Elliot. Like I, I, I buy all of this. I have no idea where to start, whether I am a man or not, but I, I feel like yeah, let, like let's let's rewrite this definition, right? Like mm. let's rethink what masculinity, what fatherhood can look like. Mm-hmm. 
it's great to rethink it, but I, I don't know what to do now. Yeah. <laughs> like what next? What is one thing? I hate the one thing, but like what are some little revolutions that people yeah. can make, right? Yeah. yeah. To, to like take that Change. first step or yeah, that second yeah. step. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like it starts at home, right? Like that saying, equality starts at home. Yeah. And I had a conversation with someone actually today and they were like, oh, you know, they're frustrated in their, their progress of what they're doing because they, they only feel like they're helping like one person at a time. And I was like, mm. ultimately, if you help one person, hopefully that help, that one person goes on to help another person, another person, etc. So don't think about it in regards of like, I'm only yep. changing my household. Actually, you know, by you, for example, putting in that flexible working request yeah. to be more present at home and share the care, like that's impactful to everyone, your, your, your child. And hopefully in the future, your child will then grow up to be like, oh, okay, this yeah. is what is normal. And when they're seeking a partner, they'll yeah. be informed by those decisions and whatnot. So, and then that's going to have an impact yeah. on, on, wider, on the wider world. So I think starting at home, number yeah. one, like there's things that you can do in your household, whether you're a, a, a parent or, or not a parent, there are conversations that you can have. There are, there are behaviors that you can change. There are things that you can do within your house. So I've always encourage people like start there there's no point in us coming out and, and trying to change the world if actually yeah. at home we're not doing the right thing yeah. ourselves you know so i think that's really important the second thing i would say is like get involved in the organizations that are doing things already you know there's there's frida there's ourselves there's music yeah. there is pregnant and screwed you know women of the world festival like all these sort of organizations that are doing yeah. this work already like just support them, read, read out, go to their events, share their content, uh, just immerse yourself more yeah. in, in what you want to learn and what you want to be about. And then you'll, you'll just find things after that, things that you can get involved in, campaigns you can get involved in, things you can donate to, um, whatever it is, you know, you, you, you probably work in an organization that has like a gender network, a parenting network, a DNI team, like I'm sure they're doing stuff. Yeah. Join the exec team there, like, you know, lend your time to making things happen so there's loads of things that people can do you know loads of things that people can do and i i fully believe that like we do all have a role to play and we do have all have the ability to actually make change in the world i think the biggest lie i've been sold one of the biggest lies is that we're incapable of changing stuff we actually are like you know all the people that have done great things like the the world leaders almost say the great done great things with the world leaders <laughs> yeah they're just human beings, right? And they're just people like us who just have a brain. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're not actually that special. I'm not special. Like, yeah. I'm you're special. <laughs> you're special. We're all special. We're, We're special. all equally special. That's yeah. a good way of putting it. Yeah. We're all equally special. <laughs> and we should never feel like we can't impact the world. Like, we can. It might take time. Find your voice, do your thing, but you most definitely can. Like, That's such a lovely time. note to end on. Thank you. Thank you so much to Elliot for this wonderful conversation. I'm going to be thinking about it for a long, long time to come. And thank you for listening. To learn more about Elliot, where you can follow him, follow his work, learn more about how to have these conversations in your own lives, check out our show notes.